This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, I, Donetta Robin, talk about the courage to live a virtuous life. Can we live a virtuous life? Or is this just for saints? We're all called to be saints, so let's find out. I am being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. We're going to welcome in Donetta Robin. Everybody probably knows who you are. Uh, (laughs) The executive director of Divine Mercy Radio. Married to Lester, they have two children and six grandchildren. And really this hour, we're going to talk about the courage to live a virtuous life. And... um, so, Donetta, let's talk about that. You know, a lot of people, we hear virtues, and let's talk specifically about what a virtue is. According to the Catechism, the three theological virtues are faith, hope, and love, or charity. But I like to think of charity as part of love, so I always say faith, hope, and love. <laughs> and the four cardinal virtues are prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. And the, these virtues make up what we say in our catechism are the virtues of the Catholic faith. But what is a virtue? I got to just do a disclaimer here because everything that I'm talking about is taken from this book, The Virtues of Holiness by, I can't pronounce his name, Juan Luis Lorda. Juan Luis Lorda, I believe Luis it is. Luis Lorda. Yeah, okay, see, like, I'm not Spanish, well, so. Neither am I, but that's just, <laughs> I, I wanted to make it sound good. But I really liked this book because I'm looking, I'm looking for ways to grow deeper in my faith. So, so I thought, well, virtues is the way to do it. I don't know if it is or not, but I decided I'm going to check into the virtue theme. So according to him, a virtue is a decision. It's a decision that we make to lean toward the good and to pursue the good because we want to imitate Jesus and we want to grow closer to him. So that's what a virtue basically is. We hear talk on virtues all the time, and obviously we strive. Our goal is to, you know, one of the things that I was told, we talk about everybody has a vocation. The first vocation is a call to holiness. And so with that, of course, comes living a virtuous life. So give some examples of what someone must do before, uh, before striving for a virtuous life. Oh, great. Okay. Okay. Again, this material isn't mine, but um, before we go deeper into the interior life, as we call it, a virtuous life, we have to really come to grips on three true beliefs. God is the creator of all things. We must really, truly believe that. He made me in his image and he gave me a breath, a soul. So I'm special. He made me to be with him. And God is near us all the time so that we should get into the habit of talking to him all day long with little interjections of prayer like, Jesus, I trust in you, or Jesus, yesterday, thank you for that phone call. That's what I was saying and and things like that. So little things that we should be talking to Jesus all day long because he's like right there with us. Another thing we should do to to live a virtuous life is a daily examine. And St. Ignatius, I'm going to give you two examples of a daily exam. St. Ignatius has an exam of uh, 
us at the end of the day, putting ourselves in God's presence, you know, and saying to ourselves, how did our work go today? How did my prayer go today? How did my dealings with others go today? And did I carry out my duties toward God and family? So that's like St. Ignatius's basic. Yeah, I'm sure he has a whole lot more. We could go mm -hmm. probably a whole hour on St. Ignatius. but, And then the founder of Opus Dei, um, he does a simple exam. He, he does three things. What did I do well? Then give thanks to God. What did I do badly? Ask for forgiveness. What could I have done better? And then make a resolution to do better the next day. So, But we should examine our day every day before we go to bed. So, And that'll help us grow closer to God in ourselves, and it'll help us to know ourselves better. Was that Jose Maria Escrivá? I that believe who, it yeah, is. He's yeah. the founder of Opus Dei. I believe so. I just yeah. didn't. I, yeah. I couldn't pronounce his name, so I didn't. Yeah, yeah. It that's it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, and I just, in fact, we just had a talk on him recently, so that's one of the reasons why. And uh, is very well known, and just really an amazing person. So, I, I wanted to say, you know, there's there's part of us in our humanness that struggles with with living a virtuous wife and it life and it's called concupiscence mm -hmm. um, the tendency to sin and so even St. Paul struggled with it because he says, for I do not know the good I want but the evil I do not want is what I do so I think for people to just understand you'll never reach perfection in this life but like good athletes we must keep striving and not give up every day we need to start anew and and keep going and some people um if they depending on where they're at in their spiritual life they might need a spiritual director to help them get started or somebody who's pretty good in their spiritual life you know go to the same confessor so he can help guide you you know, something like that might might help the concupiscence hmm. from yeah, being they, so strong in you. Yeah, you mentioned, uh, you know, having a spiritual director. That's something that's very powerful. There's so many things that, at least for me, that the spiritual director can point out that I never would have, you know, realized before. And I think there's real power in that. Sometimes uh, the truth hurts. That's exactly <laughs> uh, so, right. And I have a very, you know, I've got a wonderful um, spiritual director uh, who's very, he's probably one of the most gentle priests that uh, you could ever meet. But the one time when he talked about, you know, gaining, you know, he said, pray for humility. And I just went what <laughs> you know i mean I didn't say that but i thought it and later as, as i left and really kind of pondered the conversation it was like i see exactly what he's talking about so sometimes that's having that spiritual direction can be a great help right so, you know virtue lies in doing what we understand we ought to do but mm, even though we don't really feel like doing mm -hmm, it you yeah. know i i give an example like um children they know they should clean up their room because that's going to make their mother happy, but they're not going to do it because they just don't feel like it. You right. know? So, yeah. Yeah. The author of this book says sin comes from three basic things. It comes from pride, laziness, or sensuality. Do you think that's probably Yeah, that's probably very accurate, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he absolutely. says when the sense of sin vanishes, then the sense of God disappears. So we get so deep into our sin that we never even think of God or we say, well, maybe God doesn't exist. He just kind of disappears from our lives. So we don't want to go there. <laughs> yeah. I think um, one of the things I, I always heard or said was the farther away we get from confession, the more we 
realize that we're really sinning too. I think oh, that's, that's part of it. That's you know good. I mean? That's I why regular confessions are important. It's a powerful, a powerful sacrament. We're just so blessed to have it. And I know so many people don't understand it, even Catholic, but it's, it's a powerful, powerful sacrament that leads us ultimately to the source and summit, which is the Eucharist. So yeah. Yeah. next is the virtue of fortitude. Fortitude is a moral vir- virtue is to be strong, but not like weightlifting strong. It's strong interior life, you know, because it helps us resist temptation. It helps us overcome fear in the pursuit of doing good because virtue is doing good. When we think of fortitude, we kind of have a tendency to think of, you know, great saints like Joan of Arc or I think St. Lawrence. St. <laughs> Lawrence is amazing, yeah. 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 Um, but our modern-day examples of fortitude are like Mother Angelica, I would mm-hmm. say, St. John Paul II, and St. Mm-hmm. Padre Pio. They were all in our lifetime, right. so they, they're modern virtues. But most of us aren't going to be asked to give up our life, you know, for the faith, or to be a pope, or to begin a television network. Most of us are going to work every day, coming home, going to church on Sunday, children's activities, and just living living life day to day. We're not famous, we're not well known, and we'll die not famous or well known. So how can we practice fortitude? Well, we can in our daily lives in in just small little ways. Like we have a tendency sometimes to put off what we should do today, tomorrow. We'll say, oh, I'll fold the laundry tomorrow. I'm tired. I'm just going to let it lay here. Maybe the lawn needs to be mowed. Oh, I'll put it off tomorrow, (laughs) you know, and and then we might have an excuse like, well, others in the household aren't doing as much as we are. So uh, why should I put myself out? And this defect is is an example of laziness. And it might seem like no big deal to put something off till tomorrow. But if we do it over and over, it becomes habitual. And to do what is good demands strength. So we need to make demands on ourselves, our physical selves, and we need to overcome the fear of suffering a little to do mm. it. You yeah. know, like. uh, the old saying, put off today what you can do tomorrow, you need to get that out of your head, right? And which is, I hate to say it, but I, I have to admit that that's me. And I'm, I'm, I'm a procrastinator, and that's, that's just one of the things I need to work on. That's, so. well, wait, t- wait till we come up to shopping. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like maybe we get up in the morning, we have a little cold, and oh, I don't want to go to work today. But no, your work's depending on you, so overcome your body and and go to work. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. um, fasting's another one. If we if we want that family member to come back to the church, are we willing to suffer a little bit for it? And um, you know, you say you want to serve God, but are you willing to suffer to serve Him? Now I'm going to tell a little story here. <laughs> I was. Um, in the Adoration Chapel, and I was being, I, sh- I should watch what I say to God. That's right. Be careful. What <laughs> I you said, ask "Oh God, I love you so much. I'll do anything for you. I'll even die for you." And um, he said, "Die for me? You won't even wear a veil for me." Mm. <laughs> two years ago, two mm. years prior to this, I had bought two veils, a black and a white one, and um, because I had read on veiling and how. You know, we're the bride of Christ, and, um, you know, it's a symbol of holiness, and not not just a symbol of holiness, but submission to God, you know. 
the feminist movement wanted to take away the veil because they didn't like this the submission. Mm-hmm. But we should want to submit to God because He's awesome, and we want to be His bride, you know, in eternal life. So I had bought, I had read all about the veil, and I bought these two veils, but I was too chicken actually to wear them. And then the Lord said that you know I had forgot all about having those veils in my drawer. Really, and um. So that's where it all started, yes. huh? You know, I had to overcome that fear. Right, yeah. right. And, and I argued with him in the Adoration Chapel. I said, but Lord, I'm running a Catholic radio station, and I can't be the crazy lady wearing a veil, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, because I need people to donate to this station to keep your word going out to people. And he said to me, leave the money up to me. Right, trust the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. So I had to wear the veil. I had no more excuses. (laughs) Which brings up an interesting point. I'm I'm noticing it more and more. Yes. I'm noticing more and more women are doing that. Yes. uh, Even in our parish and just other places. Yeah. um, I think once women understand what it's about, you know, Mm. you have to read on it and understand what it's about and then decide if that's for you. It's not for everybody, but... um, once I understood that the feminist movement actually took it away from us and the church never really said, don't wear a veil, you know, so uh, hmm. I, yeah, I, I, I got angry because I think the feminist move, movement has duped us oh way too gosh. much. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing what has happened. And even just, uh, you know, the masculinity uh, for men, the, everything, that's what we what's there's so much that's missing today because of really needing, uh, you know, male leadership. It's, it's gone away. And we were exposed to that with television and everything else today. So it has made, a, I think, a huge impact in, in, a, in not a not so good way. I think the intention early on was maybe good, but then it got crazy after after that. So it, it really has impacted um, society in such a big way. Another <clears throat> another way to practice for fortitude is try not to complain. You know, our intellect has to overcome the body. And St. Teresa of Avila wrote, um, as my own health is bad, I was always impeded by my fears and my devotion was of no value at all until I resolved not to worry any more about my body or my health. For it pleased God to reveal to me this device of the devil. So interiorly, when she wanted to rest, she would tell herself, rest, what I need is more crosses. So isn't that amazing? That's why she's a saint. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's really, and there. I think that's the other thing that can help us with the sum of a living virtuous life too is, is to read the lives of the saints. I think they can inspire us to really try to do better in in, in our lives with regard to try to maintain a virtuous life that's a it's an it's not an easy thing to do by any means sometimes i just think of john paul is one great example and i'm I'm actually doing a talk on him tonight i just love when you look at all the things that he had gone through in his life mm-hmm. and um, just the things that he did and this this the the when you were in his world, you you were the only, you were the focus, and right. and he had this just an uncanny ability, very intelligent, but just to really live a virtuous life. But here's a guy who they said went to uh, reconciliation. I think 
I think it, it, I've heard weekly and daily. I'm not sure which, yeah. but regardless, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and same oh, same way with uh, Mother Teresa. So yeah. great examples of living yeah. a virtuous life. And, and <clears throat> the author tells us, too, that when we make demands on ourselves, then we can, um, you know, make demands on others like. For example, here at the office, you know, we don't have a cleaning crew come in and clean our office. So every two weeks, we just buckle down, vacuum dust, clean the bathrooms, <laughs> you know, just we just buckle down and get it done. And in an hour and a half, you know, we can have it done. So I do that do it. So I expect anybody else who works here to participate in that cleaning mm -hmm. process. This isn't a glamorous job all the time. You know, poor Leslie, she was taking a roof off. Uh, she, Her and Lester went out and took the roof off our building out at the tower, and they cleaned out mouse poo for a day and then put the roof back <coughs> on. I mean, it's not always a glamorous job. You think, oh, I'm the director or I'm the assistant director. But, you know, we have to do the little things that are mm -hmm. pretty humbling, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So um, the moral virtue of temperance, um, and there's, an, I think I struggle with all these. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. One more thing I want to say oh, about fortitude sure. since it's Christmas time is parents, it's your duty to teach children about fortitude. So don't give your children all their wants, you know, and we have a tendency to do that in our today's world because we live in a world of plenty. Mm -hmm. And um, they say this Giving children all their wants will produce a, a person who demands a lot of others and not a lot of himself mm -hmm. as an adult. So keep that in mind. Makes perfect sense. Yep. So, so yeah, we'll move on to temperance. Temperance, the moral virtue of temperance. <laughs> yeah. Temperance is mastery over one's appetite. Um, I struggle with this. Now, this isn't just the appetite of food or drink. Some people have an appetite for shopping. Mm. Me, I, I have a tendency to overeat, but I also have a tendency to, oh, I like that person. I don't have that color of purse. And in my closet, I have lots of colors of purses up there. And it's like I would like to trade them out, but um, I don't really need another purse, but... I'm so glad I'm a guy. That's all I can say. Because you know, some people are shooting people. I'm a person. Purses, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, for men, it might be an appetite for too much television. Mm -hmm. I don't know. They like the remote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To practice um, temperance, we need to detach from things. And, and I think uh, just when we get married today, it's so different than when Lester and I got married. Because married couples want to get married, or sometimes they think they need to be financially sound before they even get married. And Lester and I, when we got married, he had a car, and we had some clothes, and he had enough money to buy a bedroom set. <laughs> That's about it. We didn't have a TV for the first year, but we saved, and within 18 months of our marriage, we had enough money to put a down payment on a house. But when we bought that house, there were no pictures on the wall for the first year, but we did have a baby in that first year, or that second year, and uh, we were very satisfied. Um, you know, so what we have today, we really built together, and there's there's kind of a... I don't know, a satisfaction of building things together. So you don't need to have everything before you get married. That's just what I think. Sure. Well, <laughs> and that's sometimes we do. We want to have, you know, it's almost that keep up with the Jones mentality or just, that's you know. That's exactly right. Social uh, status is a big deal yeah. to some people. And I think that's where a lot of times even things like Facebook or, you know, you see um, somebody having what looks like a great life on Facebook and could be a, a rather 
uh, rough life and going through all kinds of pain and issues uh, in reality. But we can obviously make our Facebook uh, look very good right. when it's uh, not not reality. So. We have to remember that goods in goods, material things in and of themselves aren't bad, right. but we have to keep them in the right order. For example, a house is where is a home where a family lives and and family life takes place, and a car is an instrument of getting from here to there, or getting to work, you know, or or going on vacation for a little re relaxation. It isn't the kind of car you drive. I mean, you can't get attached to things. It's just keep them in the right order. I guess is is the way I like to say it. And we can have nice surroundings. We can live in a nice house and have nice surroundings. There's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, um, disorder and dirtiness are kind of signs of laziness, so we wouldn't want that, but, you know, nothing's wrong with that. It's just that we don't want to be so attached to it. If we had a house that burned down today, would we be okay? You know? Mm. Um, or is or would it devastate our life? You know, there's so much suicide today, and we're going to have Eric Brown come on tomorrow and talk about suicide, but um, or Friday, but uh, because people I think are attached, and when things fall apart, you know, mm -hmm. their whole life falls apart, and we shouldn't be like that. Our attachment should be to God only. Well, and, and it, it really goes back to um, there that that detachment from God. We just we we live in a. In a world of culture today seems to be more godless than ever and that's a it's a frustration on one hand uh, to see just where the culture is gone and just how upside down everything is so many people that find their way to christ um, one way or the other they it's it's amazing what happens in their lives and i think it's so important that that people can focus on that but we we struggle with it because we're so caught up in everything else you you, you know the busyness satan loves the busyness yeah and we're, we're so caught noise. up in it <clears throat> absolutely because if there's noise then it keeps us from doing the things that we need to be doing and spending time in prayer and spending time uh, going to mass and things of that nature so we need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back with more about how to have courage to live a virtuous life. We're back on One Body, Stewarding God's Creation. The Courage to Live a Virtuous Life. With me, Donetta Robin. One body, stewarding God's creation. Ken Billinger conducts the interview. Donetta Robin is talking about the courage to live a virtuous life. And this is uh, one I'm happy to mention earlier. I didn't see this, but we talked about uh, a little bit humility. Where uh, does humility fit into the virtues? Are we ready to jump to that, or I, did I jump ahead? I'm, I'm going to just talk a little I'll, bit I'll more let you finish about up temperance. On temperance. Yeah. Um, a Catholic should be a, aware of doing the greater good, and this is kind of turns into justice, too, that we want to do the greater good. For example, radio here, we're, you know, you, you want to... You want to be a good steward of your money, is I guess what I'm saying. So instead of, you know, focusing all on material goods, you should think about the greater good of society. Mm -hmm. For example, the radio station, it's, it's where we touch souls and we help prepare them for eternal life. So giving to the radio station is a good thing because you're helping touch other people. Or 
Catholic schools. You know, Catholic schools is where the education of our future generation and leaders of our community are being formed. So that's a great place to, to you know, give a little money or, or our church in our, churches in our social programs, um, such as St. Joe's and St. Nick's now both have kind of food pantries and, Mm -hmm. you know, pregnancy care centers are a great place. You know, if you're going to be a good steward of your money, you want to give to something that does a greater good and be careful because not everybody's doing a greater good. (laughs) So I I think that's a, a very important thing. There's so many things that are out there and we think that, oh, this is really helping people. But we do have to be careful because a lot of times there's, it's almost like smoke and mirrors, if you will, that there's things going on. If you really dig deep into some organizations, uh, you'll find that that's, they're really not working for the greater good, although they, they appear to be you know, right. in the front. So, And then temperance when it comes to food and drink. We're not supposed to deprive ourselves to where we're not feeling good. Um, it's just that in our society today, we have a tendency to eat more than we need to. Mm. So something you might try, and I'm trying it. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm successful at it all the time, is try to um, eat less than I want to eat. You know, just don't eat to full just you know i usually eat this so i'm going to eat a little bit less we have a tendency to eat to where we're uncomfortable and we just got off thanksgiving weekend so um, but the author of the book says um when when we do things like that we numb our mind and our and and supernatural treasures that god wants to give us graces don't come to us so you know we want all the grace we can get so absolutely You know, I was thinking about chastity, and I'm thinking that kind of falls under temperance, too. What do you think? Probably does. Um, One of the things about living in moderation, it frees us. it freezes, you know, we don't always have to be looking for what's next in life, you know, we don't have to look for that next purchase or that next vacation, we're just happy with where we're at. And um, chastity, I think, definitely falls under temperance. the church teaches that sexual pleasure is only inside the walls of marriage. And I love, Dr. Hogan just did a show not very long ago, Dr. Amy Hogan, and she was talking about when she was an intern, she, she'd she wear this button that said, save sex, not safe sex, but safe sex. Mm-hmm. And her superiors didn't like her wearing that button, but she said it, it generated a lot of discussion, so she was able to talk about it with people and so they got a different perspective on you know instead of just throwing birth control pills at them or IUDs or whatever you know that um, she was able to talk to him about natural ways so safe sex I thought that was pretty cool Mm. Um, the definition for chastity is the capacity to control the desire for sexual pleasure and we have to practice chastity inside and outside of marriage Um, The sexual instinct, according to the author, is the strongest instinct next to our instinct for survival. Um, I thought that was interesting. (laughs) I don't know if that's absolutely true, but that's what the author said. Well, I I actually I could see that being the case. It was it was somebody was talking to mention this. It was a guy just talking about his struggles with lust and things, and he he said he was talking to an 85 year old priest, and he said, "When does this go away?" He said. I'll let you know when I find out. Yeah. So even at, I mean, even at 85, you know, I think that not not everybody is probably right. that way. But I mean, it's it's one of those things that we deal with. I think I think men probably more than women too. I would I would assume maybe not. Um, I don't know. But I would <clears throat> I would guess so. But um, I've been told women are 
entering it more and more. I'm, I'm just praising God that, you know, I don't have that, because you know? yeah. I've heard it's just terrible to try to, to get rid of it. But chastity makes for strong societies. So think about it, you know, sexuality is the nucleus for um, social life in, in your family with your husband. Um, it, it, or spouse, it produces a family, and that family helps the economy. So it really is a nucleus for all of everybody, for the greater good. That's what I'm trying to say, I guess. And sexual discipline is um, it's just healthy for a, sexual, a healthy society. You know, look at what's happening now with, um, you know, marriage is anything. And I just think that that's sad. <laughs> and it's it's we're not producing families and we're having lots of children who are growing up with lots of problems because they don't have a father or they don't have a mother and um, it, it is our social system is collapsing because oh, yeah. because of it so we need to go back to you know having our families and practicing chastity within our family you know but but um, society treats sex as an item of consumption and not and not what it's, you know, the great gift it is supposed to be that God gave us. So they trivialize sex. Um, they, and when you do that, you trivialize love. Like all that's left is like this instinct, it's mm-hmm. like an animal instinct. It's not about love. The other interesting thing is um, we did uh, actually had a class on bioethics. And so I wanted to research because the whole gender thing, too. I mean, that's we're just inundated with that, the whole gender thing now. And obviously, there's one man, one woman. We know that. Mm-hmm. I mean, science proves that, although people now want to argue with science, if you will. Um, and I checked it. How many at that time I went to this? It was a pretty crazy website. But it, there were 66 genders at that time. Wow. And But I talked to w- one of the guys in my deacon cohort, and he said he looked just uh, recently, and he said now it's up to 70, I think 73. Wow. So that number is going to probably keep rising. It's like, nuts. And these are things that we are exposing our children to that are so upside down that, you know, we just, it, it's, um, it's a real challenge. The culture today, there's so many really challenging things, and that's right. certainly one of them. In 1 Corinthians, it says, do not be deceived by the immoral, nor the adulterers, nor the homosexuals. So, um, you know, focus on God and everything will lead you to the right way. One thing I just want to say, because I want to give our priests a plug, where there's true love, one will find the strength to live sexuality in an ordered way. You know, for example, um, priests love God. And they love us, you know, because they're getting up for us every day and having mass. And, and I mean, they lose sleep because we need them, you know. So they love God and they love us so much that living a celibate life just falls into the order for them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not, you know, abnormal. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And one thing, um, because I know this happens a lot, and we need to stamp out the first sparks of passion because the fire can spread. So um, we need to take care of what we read, what we see on television, and what we look at on the street. And in work, um, there are a lot of men and women work together, 
and that's fine and that's normal and you can have a personal relationship but when you start to have feelings for that other person you need to start limiting your contact with that work with that uh, co-worker um, especially if you are married or have a special commitment to God you you need to you need to stamp it out immediately as as soon as you're starting to have those feelings I guess and I, I hate to use the word feelings because father Fred calls it the F word, <laughs> but you know when you when you're having an inclination of um, attraction, I guess to to a coworker, you need to stamp it out immediately before it progresses and gets out of control. Um, and I love um, our vice president. You know, because he will not go to dinner without his right. wife. Right. He will not go to dinner with a, another person of the opposite sex yeah. by himself and I just and he was made fun of for it but you know I admire him for it <laughs> yeah um, the, he's uh, he really is a pretty virtuous seems like a very virtuous man we need to move on to humility because I definitely want to talk about that because that's a that's a hard one for us to do sure. but in order to understand humility we un it's the opposite virtue of pride so we need to understand what pride actually is and pride is disordered love it's love of oneself more than one deserves and it's considering oneself better than others and uh, these are some attributes of a prideful person they pay attention to he pays attention to well, I'm, I'm just going to use the pronoun he but it okay. can be she it can be you know, one of 74 genders, I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> they pay attention to, uh, he pays attention to his good qualities and he overlooks the bad. He's vain about his looks and knowledge and the things he owns. And socially, he tends to speak about himself. And he has a tendency to demand attention when in social situation. And he has a tendency to judge others harshly. If... If people don't fuss over him, he'll complain that people don't care about him. Um, he lacks attention to other people. He's critical of those who surpass him in any way. He will undercut others to get ahead of them. Um, he's very sensitive to judgments of others. Or um, and and the author says they have an, a prideful person has an intellectual dictatorship. He's superior, and amazingly, pride is often found in powerful people. Hmm. Um, they resist obeying, and uh, when a person loves themselves like this, they have a tendency to push God away. Hmm. So the pride is the gravest of all sins because it weakens our capacity to relate to others and to God. Yeah, so. and it's, it's, a, yeah, it's kind of, I, I was told pride is really kind of the root of everything. Uh, you know, I mean, you kind of alluded to that, but that is something that, so many times we deal with that, and it really kind of breaks off into so many of these other areas, the, yeah. that, that, um, that sin of pride. So here's the attributes of a humility, a person with humility. And I, I always look to the Blessed Mother because she had them all so perfectly. Mm. But a, a humble person knows the truth about himself, and whatever good that happens to him or comes from him is from God. They understand that. Um, praise makes a humble person a little uncomfortable. He feels unmerited because it's God who's doing these things. A humble person doesn't think he deserves anything special for what he does. He do, He's just doing what's right because it's his duty to do what's right. He values the virtues of others. He obeys. 
He accepts joy, humiliation, and reprimands and corrections and insults that come his way. He just accepts them. And he believes without God, no one can take one step forward. So that's what we need to strive for. <laughs> Humility. You know, and I'm, I'm going to jump back to that. It's interesting because in that particular session, I was talking about the fact that I was at spiritual direction and my spiritual director, a uh, very loving, gentle, soft-spoken priest who's very, very wise, I think. When he talked about, you know, you need to... Uh, I, I, here's what it was. We had a discussion about my impatience in traffic. Oh, so yeah. living in the metro, you know, living in Kansas City, I'm just, I, I have a tendency to come back here and drive pretty fast down Vine Street. So I've got to be careful <laughs> about that. But it's like when I'm on the road, I, I'm very, I'm just, I'm very impatient with other drivers. And I talked about that. And then he, he talked about the fact that perhaps you need to pray for humility. And it was like, what? I mean, I did, again, I didn't say it, but I'm thinking it. And then as I, I left and it was just stuck in my head, humility, humility. And then I realized it was like, yeah, I was making everything about me. Um, mm. and the whole idea of just being on the road and it's like, you know, get out of my way. This is, <laughs> this is my highway. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and I got to think it, and it's been, it's really been helpful to me. I, I, I think I've, I can't say I've mastered that whole issue, but it's become less of an issue for me um, to, and it's still one of those things I have to confess, yeah. but it's not. It's almost like my time is more important than that other right, person's right. time, but yeah, I yeah. can I can definitely see that, but I would be like you. I'd have to think about that a while. Yeah, and it was, it was like, ah, oh, I get it. Okay, yeah. I see why. Um, but those are, and humility is, it's, um, yeah, sometimes it's, it's a hard thing because somebody tells you something or even constructive criticism sometimes um, I struggle with that. You know, yeah, I mean, I'll, just... I'll tell you a humbling thing for me. <laughs> I was at EWTN, and um, I had a skirt on that was barely above my knees because I don't wear really short skirts, but it was just barely above my knees. But the rule to go to mass at Mother Angelica's is it has to be below the knee. Well, mine was just barely above the knee. And I hear I had my veil on and I was going in all pious, you know, <laughs> to church. And somebody grabbed my arm and said, you have to wear this long skirt. Your skirt's too short. And mm. um, I was like, what? <laughs> you know, I don't wear short skirts. But, um, but I did what he said. I thought, well, God's trying to tell me something here. And so I put on this they have just general long black skirts that you just with elastic waist that you wear over your clothes and so i put on the long black skirt and went in and did mass and there was somebody else um in the at the radio conference um that knew me pretty good and he says you know you look like a nun in church and blah 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 and i says you know what god sometimes we all need to be humbled mm. you know that's just the way I looked at it then yeah. you know in church at first i was I felt this anger inside of me and then as i just went through the motions and went into church it's like okay i need to be humbled and i'm sorry and if it's too short here then it's going to be too short back home and mm -hmm. i needed to know that yeah so wow. yeah that would be uh, uh very humbling uh, i know a, a friend of mine who is um uh, he just he leads catholic men's conferences and does a lot of wonderful work and has actually written a book but he shared this story and i think again talk about humility he said, I was, 
Um, I was not scheduled to be an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion, but they needed help, and I, I helped. And he said, I was not in the state of grace to receive. So he said, imagine me, I'm up on the altar with all the other Eucharistic ministers. And when the priest came to me, I had a cross my he crossed my arms just for a blessing and he said that was pretty humbling uh, it's one thing to come up right. and do it but to be actually an extraordinary minister of holy communion and do it um he said that was a very very humbling experience right so, but he made the right decision yeah, and god's going to yeah, bless him for right. it right and i that's that's where we have to get to the point and, and I always talk about this, too, um, you know, because Mary was the Ark of the Covenant, Ark of the New Covenant. And I said, much like a priest, one of the young priests, f- fantastic priests that we have, um, talked about this. He said, when we come forward to receive, are we in the state of grace to receive, much like Mary was the Ark right. of the Covenant? We are receiving Christ. And right. sometimes it's very hard. It's, it's, it's a humbling thing. Even there are times I do come up and I, I just don't feel like I'm worthy to receive. Mm-hmm. And so I will cross my arms for a blessing. And, and the whole point is it's like, and I have to tell myself, don't worry about what everybody else thinks. That's just worry exactly about right. what God thinks. And I think... If we can do that as hard as it can be sometimes, I mean, it's a very humbling moment when you have to do that. But there's nothing. When I see people do it, I have more respect for them because I think, great. They understand. Yeah, they understand. What they're receiving. Exactly. So I think there's the level of respect for people who understand it will go up for Mm -hmm. for those who who practice that, um, that humility, if you will. That we just need more priests to hear confessions before Mass. Um, Can we move into maybe simplicity? Sure. It's kind of So where does – yeah, where does that <laughs> – yeah, it really is. So um, – and, and it kind of comes under the virtue of justice, too, and it overlaps with temperance. So, you know, some of these things kind of overlap. But, um, you know, simplicity is not covering ourselves with falsities, and we have a tendency to do that. Um, we have to be careful, and you were talking about social media. That's one great way where we portray ourselves on social media in a false way. We have to be careful of um, self-concealing our pride, and it oftentimes can, and oftentimes it takes some craftiness to conceal ourselves, you know, and people are are going an extra mile to do that. We have a tendency to hide behind a mask because we don't really want people to know who we truly are. But there's nothing wrong with who we truly are. I mean, maybe we need to strive for perfection. That's fine. We're all stri- we're all striving for it. But God made us the way we are and we should just you know, be happy. We shouldn't ever apologize for a physical attribute. You know, I'm short. So people people lean on me, you know, or, you know, my grandchildren are like, you know, fourth grade and they're almost as tall as me. And, you know, it's so big deal. That's the way God made me. And I'm not going to grow taller in this right. life. So, and probably not in the next, but that's, you know, we shouldn't have to apologize for, for any physical attributes or our race or our skin color none of that it's who we are and we're a child of god and you know we should just be proud of that because we're a child of god you know it's interesting because you mentioned something earlier when you're talking about <clears throat> when you and lester moved into your house and for a year or so you didn't have pictures was it pictures mm-hmm. on the wall 
And the stories I hear sometimes from people who move into a big house is they said, if you go inside, you'll see a card table and chairs as their kitchen table. The house is beautiful from the outside, but you go inside and it's all about the show. It's all about looking Mm -hmm. good on the outside, but what's really, truly going on inside. I think that kind of has a double meaning, uh, if you will. And so we see that. And and I think to, to your point, and we talk about simplicity. I just I, I think about people who live a simple life and how happy they are because their focus is not on things. It's on God. It's on. I think that's there's and some one real, another. <clears throat> absolutely. I don't you know, I, and we've tried to get we're, we're trying to do that ourselves to simplify our life, get rid of the mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just stuff. And, yeah. and it's like it, it really means nothing. So the simpler I think sometimes we can make our life, the more I think the happier we are. Right. So. But Leslie's going to have to get rid of my purses. <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm just teasing. But um, uh, we need to get rid of our concealment, our pretense, and we just need to live honorably, just like you said. Um, you know, there's a saying, the truth will set you free. So um, just be truthful about who you are. What about uh, cheerfulness? Is that a virtue? Oh, okay. We, we just, cheerfulness uh, yeah. is... Well, you know, I wondered if cheerfulness was really a virtue, so I kind of was looking it up. And if it is a virtue, what, where does it fall under? Um, but I found um, Father Chad, Father Chad Ripperger. He's a known exorcist, mm-hmm. and he's got lots of YouTube videos. And he he lists sixty four virtues. So <laughs> I guess cheerfulness wow. can be a virtue, mm-hmm. and it can fall kind of under fortitude and justice. And and cheerfulness is. Um, it's necessary. It's a necessary consequence of our our divine sonship or daughtership with God. He loves us. He sacrificed for us. He forgives us. He holds us up and he helps us. So that alone should make us a cheerful person, and um, and bring joy into our heart. And when these things happen, then when difficulties come in our lives, we're better able to handle them. Um, we're better able to handle intense sadness and because we're fully trusting in God. Does that make sense? It makes sense, yeah. And uh, we just have a few minutes left, but that that is a great point. And I think about even people who live a very joyful life. They're just full of joy. And again, the people I think about that are, they have a very simple life. It's not, you know, uh, complicated with all these things. And it's, um, I think it would, it all really kind of ties together. Now, when you say, I'm going to strive for more cheerfulness in my life, you know, beware, because God is going to probably put a person who complains a lot or something in your life to counter that. Exactly. So just a strong prayer life will keep you um, centered, I think. Absolutely. So one more, we have a few minutes left. The virtue of prudence. Let's uh, touch on that. Prudence is important because it's the, it's, the gift of making, you know, it's the idea of making right decisions. Now, everybody kind of has this interior space where they go and they make decisions. It's, it's kind of part of our human dignity, but we have to, we have to protect and nurture that interior space. Um, and, and that interior space also matures as we mature. Like children, they're hungry, they eat, they can't eat, they cry, you know, um, as we mature, our interior space will mature too, so we will make better decisions. When making a decision, um, and also this is this is part of having a well-formed conscience too, um, when making decisions we always think, um, a prudent person will think, how will it affect me? How will it affect my family? How will it affect those 
other people around me. So they're thinking of the whole picture. And if they're unsure, they will seek good um, advice from people who know, uh, like, like changing a job. You know, like they will seek advice from people in that field, you know, and, the, and you, you need to seek advice from people that you can trust will tell you the truth, you know, um, so p- people who you really trust. And that will help you make decisions. A, a prudent person really, I always call Lester a prudent person <laughs> because he's very careful about making decisions. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, we just need to do this, you know. Right, right. Um, but he really thinks it out, and um, it, we definitely balance each other out there. So mm. um, it helps us organize our conduct in a reasonable way. So. Oh, and the other thing about a prudent person, another attribute is when when arguing with another person, the prudent person usually stays calm. The calm person wins the argument, I say. The courage to live a virtuous life. Thank you, Donetta, for joining us. Thanks for tuning in to this week's One Body Stewarding God's Creation. Whether you're listening via radio, computer, phone app, or Amazon Echo, we appreciate you tuning in to Divine Mercy Radio. If you're a business that can help support this One Body show, please know you'll receive three underwriting spots per show, and the show runs five times a week. Plus, you'll be listed as a sponsor on the One Body page of Divine Mercy Radio's website. If interested, please call 785-621-4110. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 88.1 KBDM Hayes, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and very soon, KJDM 101.7 Salina. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. One body, stewarding God's creation.